0: Welcome to Vertical Insights, a podcast series brought to you by CA Ventures, bringing you an in-depth look at the commercial real estate industry through the lens of CA's resident subject matter experts. I'm Robert Maddock.
1: And I'm Megan Noam. And this is Vertical Insights.
0: And we're back. Episode four. Meg, great to have you back in the boardroom today.
1: Great to see you here again.
0: Again, another day, but a very, very great episode um, that I think our listeners are really going to enjoy. Who do we have with us?
1: Can we say that it's a great episode if it's our podcast? Are we biased?
0: We probably are biased, but you know what? It's our podcast. So Mm. I think the listeners are going to enjoy it.
1: (laughs) I agree. We have a very entertaining guest for you all today. Uh, we had Sean Spellman, our chief development officer here.
0: Lively, lively fella.
1: Very lively.
0: <laughs> he brought his hard hat and his shovel with him for this one. So
1: Yeah, talking is not a, a weakness for Sean Spellman. So we had a great conversation. Rob, what did you think?
0: You know, I think last week's episode in industrial, and I think I kind of hit on this in the actual podcast itself, but there's a lot of gray area in between, right? When we think about industrial, the seller to the actual front doorstep, what's going on? When we think about development, you know, we know where the deal is and we see the actual finished product, but all the work in between is kind of a mystery to most people. So um getting that in-depth look from Sean and what his team and teams are doing was uh was very interesting.
1: Yeah, I agree. I think, you know, when we talk about COVID and impacts on the real estate industry, everybody thinks about the management, the operation side of things. Um, and obviously, market liquidity has been a huge topic, and closing deals and pipeline and things like that. But you know, the the biggest impact in my mind, in terms of intricacies and and every step along the way, is really on the development side. So to hear Sean dive into COVID impacts and the outlook, uh, you know, from a design perspective, even from entitlements, things that that you really wouldn't think about. Um, was really interesting, really eye-opening, and I definitely have a whole new level of respect for everything that our development and construction teams experienced this summer.
0: Yeah, I think especially after you listened, you know, with having Michael Hales and Michael Podboy on the last two episodes, you keep hearing that CA Ventures is vertically integrated or vertically integrated. Well, what does that actually mean? And I think Sean really helps dive in to what being vertically integrated means for CA.
1: Mm -hmm. And how the vertical integration has actually expanded over time since he's joined and just taking pieces that were previously uh, external relationships and bringing those in-house to further strengthen that competitive advantage that we bring to the table as a vertically integrated platform.
0: And so I think that's a great lead-in for episode four of Vertical Insights. Let's take it straight to the interview.
1: Cue the music.
0: We have Chief Development Officer of CA Ventures, Sean Spellman. Sean, welcome to the show. Thanks for having
2: me, Rob. It's great to be here.
1: Sean, why don't you start in true Vertical Insights fashion by introducing yourself, your background, and how you got to CA?
2: I can do that. Uh, well, I was born on a Tuesday at 7 a.m.
1: <laughs> through a fast forward button in here. Yet. <laughs>
2: I already like where this is going. <laughs> yeah. you no, know, uh, I think it's important to start that I'm from Timney Park, Illinois, a south suburb. And it really set the tone for me as a person. And Tom would call me cheap, I would say. Practical, But that's, I think, part of living in the South Side. Uh, but I and, and ended up going to Marion Catholic High School and then went to Purdue University where I studied civil engineering and started out in construction management. So I spent a bunch of years, my early years at McShane Companies in construction management, doing literally PM work that a lot of our, our team does now. And then moved on to development within the McShane organization. As a matter of fact, I, my first development job was under Mr. Jim McGill, who is currently in our on our industrial platform here at CA. So small world that uh, Jim really trained me initially in development. I moved on from there to the Opus companies where I was a general manager of their Midwest region. And we did multifamily industrial office development and I started their national student housing platform which is when I was introduced to CA Ventures and and how I became intrigued by the size, scale, and really the complexity and entrepreneurial spirit of CA. So a lot of my intro to CA came from meeting the folks at conferences and being aware of how big they were in Chicago. And and clearly they were a household name and and a formidable competitor. And when the opportunity came to join, it made a ton of sense to come. and, And really, I was intrigued by the scale. And the entrepreneurial aspect of of the company that tom had started
1: what year did you join what was ca at that time
2: uh it was still the old logo but it was uh twenty <laughs> 20, twenty 2017
0: were two logos ago <laughs> <laughs> so sean as chief development officer at ca ventures what does your job actually entail and what are you focused on on a
2: day-to-day basis that's a great question. I think a lot of people have the same question about what I do daily. Um, <laughs> but the reality is development is much a science, as an art. And I've been fortunate enough to help lead the development teams and development's about consistency. And let's go back to defining what development is. Our vertical leaders identify what markets that we wanna be in and what product we wanna develop in those markets. Once we've identified where we wanna develop and what we wanna develop, My team comes in and does the how and really boots in the ground, everything from entitlements through design through construction, delivery operations. And so it really is the quarterback of the deal from the initial concept on paper through the final turnover. So what I've been able to do since coming here was add systems and processes that make the process repeatable and consistent. Development's a process and it's linear. And while there are parts and pieces that, that differ deal to deal, in general, it's a pretty linear art. And so we have put checklists and people in place to, to facilitate the consistent delivery. And I think one thing that's important to note is that on the development team here, we've created an environment where it's okay to fail. And I think that it's unique in that we have the size and scale. We have boundaries that people typically stay in from a decision-making standpoint, but we have really well-trained professionals at every level of the organization from pre-construction to pre-development to implementation team. And ultimately, the environment is one where we we continue to learn from each other. There never is a perfect deal, but we try to get better every time. And I think that that's the environment you create and, and the team, I think, thrives on that.
0: So that's really interesting because, you know, on our last episode we had Michael Podboy from the industrial team here and I think we were really trying to help fill the gap for consumers, right? They buy something from a seller and there's this in-between point of, you know, getting it to a warehouse and shipping it and before it ends up on somebody's front door as we think about your role here at CA, right? I'm on the investment side, so talking about a deal is very easy, but we say that we're vertically integrated, right? And I think that helps us learn from our mistakes and that really is where your team falls in the middle from the time an investment team puts the deal together to actually delivering that product at the end. You guys are all through there and you mentioned not to be scared of failure. Um, so I would just love to hear more kind of about how your different teams and team members are functioning in those roles to learn from mistakes and enhance those processes.
2: Yeah, I think that we look at each development has two finish lines. The first finish line is the start line, and the second is the actual completion date. We put a ton of our energy and thought leadership on the front end. So we really have a phenomenal team getting us to the start line. I think that the design, the thought leadership, integration with our ultimate leasing and management teams throughout the front end, help direct how the development's going to come together. So we really spend a ton of our energy and focus on the front end.
1: So having played this role at other companies, how is that approach at CA different from how others might approach it?
2: I think that the scale here is what makes us unique and that we're always working on somewhere between 15 to 30 deals at any one time, any different phase. And so where other companies may have generalists who take the deals from A to Z or in Europe A to Z. Here, here uh, we have specialists who focus on, we have a MEP, Mechanical Electrical Plumbing Specialist. We have people who focus on front-end design and unit optimization. We have people who really can do what they like best and do best and focus. Instead of trying to look at people and and, and saying, well, what... How do we make them a more complete, well-rounded A to Z developer? We do that, but there's opportunity for people to really specialize and find a niche and be great at it and add huge value to our team because of the scale and the continual turnover of, of new deals.
1: Since you've been here at CA, you've started several other companies within the umbrella that support the development team. Can you talk a little bit about those businesses?
2: Absolutely. I think that they were all really a function of opportunity. And in our goal of delivering consistent products was consistent thought leadership. It really became apparent that we had the scale to bring some of the historically third party or outsourced jobs in house. And so we started Blue Consulting Services about two years ago and really brought a design management function as well as a mechanical electrical plumbing consulting function along with sustainability and wellness and other initiatives to under that umbrella to have a consistent approach to each development. So the thought process historically was we hire a consultant, maybe multiple consultants to do each of those roles across developments and you'd have inconsistent data and deliverables and integration into the deal. And so we felt like it would be best to have a consistent integration. So we brought those functions in, it's been fantastic. So instead of having a learning curve on each deal, the learning curve is more internal and it's building on ourselves, not trying to help others get to the level we are. We, I think it helps us be a not only a leader, but to maintain some proprietary thought leadership and design integration that others don't have and see because we, we don't share it with the world. It's actually pretty unique.
1: So Blue Consulting Services really focuses on the design side. And I know you've brought in uh, another function in-house, which is really on the FF&E side. Can you talk a little bit about that business?
2: Absolutely. We also, out of necessity almost, started Orange Global Products. And again, after my first year here of the deliveries, we found that three or four products were consistently late or designed and, and delivered incorrectly. And it sounds simple, but things like Shower pans and shower doors, oftentimes furniture, some mobile islands, things that we use across all of our student housing developments, were inconsistent in size and in and in quality, and so we decided to go back to the design in house, make each development consistent, and it's in it's approach to those. Items and then we procure them directly. So there's never issues with late delivery. There's never issues with quality. We have uh, a a team of people who design, procure, import, distribute and install uh, now a number of products and that that product list continues to grow as we find ways to differentiate our product offerings to our, our residents. So next year we'll be doing all of our own furniture which is a big move for us, but we've been uh, bringing products into the U.S. And uh, we started about six months ago in a local warehouse in Chicago, the CA Innovation Laboratory. And the CA Innovation Lab's Really is a place that we can go and look at sample units before they're constructed in the field. We can really feel and touch and look. And our whole team from our leasing team to our management teams to our development teams can ask questions, look at placement, and then design bespoke furniture and bespoke, bespoke solutions to these spaces. So really cool that we're we're doing that this year. It's been fun. Our teams have a lot of trying to build and design differentiated furniture. The idea really is that when you go to a student housing development, there's only two or three manufacturers and suppliers who fill most of the orders in the country. And by doing our own thing, we can be a little more forward thinking and in integrated technology, USB port self-charging pads within furniture. So some really new neat ideas that our leasing teams love as a one added differentiator as we go to, to market with our new product.
1: So it's supply chain control and differentiation.
2: It's supply chain control on some of the more common items that we were having challenges with supply chain control and differentiation on a lot of the new initiatives from, from a FF&E standpoint.
0: So I think that's really interesting because, as you mentioned, you are importing some of these um, items to be doing this on our own here in the States. Um, over the last you know few months and over the last couple of years, there's been tariff issues. Can you maybe dive into how your team was able to tackle that and maybe... What benefit did that provide CA having that opportunity to be doing this in-house and not outsourcing those resources?
2: Well, I think there's the good news is there's an awareness of the tariffs now that clearly we we are much more in direct communication with consultants and people who are in the know of what's upcoming from a tariff standpoint. So we're ahead of that. In particular, as an example, last year, we imported cabinets and countertops from China. China implemented an anti-dumping legislation, and that raised the price by almost 300% on cabinets and countertops, to which we were able to cancel orders and then buy domestically. Uh, Big challenge last year from just a timing standpoint for a couple of our developments. But the good thing is that we've really taken our U.S. and European supply chains, integrated them together, and now we're looking at best locations, suppliers, manufacturers from around the world. So we're looking at Malaysia, we're in South America, we're in Mexico, we're getting things from Poland, we have uh, items coming still from China vietnam so we've really grown our global supply chain and we're going direct to vendors and, and suppliers now instead of through middle men and middle middle companies so i think it's scary to most if you don't know what you're doing we happen to have an expert on our team who understands that business and that's the business he's in so he really runs the sourcing and the shipping and receiving and quality control and that was the most complicated part but we're uh, we're knee deep and we're enjoying it. It's, it's not gonna be a big business for us, but again, it's about differentiation and quality control, and then again, controlling the timing delivery to these time-sensitive student housing developments.
1: So expanding into actually creating and designing our own products, any lessons learned? Is is this the first year that we're actually seeing those, those um, cabinets and countertops and things like that in our
2: assets? It is, uh, matter of fact, well, there's always lessons learned, and this was really our, our beta test year, so we expected it to be a bigger list than most, and it, and it was. So there was uh, a lot of things we learned from shop drawing approvals to just ways to better mod or QA QC from thousands of miles away. The supply chain was challenged this year with COVID and and just not knowing where products were at times. So we really have a, a whole bunch of new ideas and concepts we're initiating now that'll be ready for the deliveries in 2021. But, you know, just to transition into the last couple of days, our team just wrapped up a, a two day lessons learned development symposium where 25 plus of our team members was on a two day phone call and did presentations on each of our nine deliveries this year. Amazing opportunity for people to learn from each other and continue to fine tune our development process. And it's uh, we roll out new initiatives and 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 celebrate successes and and communicate and discuss ways to get better and there's always ways to tweak you know the the benefit of working around the country like this is we get to see different markets different labor pools different approaches to the same challenges and different solutions and i think that when you share those it's really great for team building and team growing and lets us really cherry pick the best ideas and best concepts to roll and integrate into our our go forward strategies
1: So I know you do lessons learned every year, having OGP products for the first time, but also COVID, and you touched on the nine deliveries this year. I can't imagine what the development team experienced trying to get all of those deliveries open. We had Michael Hales here. A couple of weeks ago, um, but we'd love to hear from your perspective what challenges were posed by COVID and how you actually tackled this impossible issue of delivering nine assets during a time where, I mean, there was just no
2: shortage of challenges. No, we have a fantastic team. And I, to be honest, they, they rolled their sleeves up immediately and the guys and girls got to work. We, we, we didn't know what we didn't know. So, you know, having purview into what was happening in Europe, Europe shut down before the US did. And uh, in January, we started to hear rumblings of Italy and Spain and countries shutting down. And so we immediately pushed the acceleration button on all of our US developments prior to the U.S. really having to blow up in COVID and the shutdown. So we had about a four or five-week head start. We were able to really pick up some super critical time in all of our developments. We were working double shifts and weekends as soon as we thought it was coming. So we were ahead of that, which is pretty smart on our our team's part. And, you know, we really were focused on supply chain and getting materials to the U.S. We didn't know what this would do to the supply chain. Clearly, having China and other countries involved in our, our deliveries is typically consistent, but this year we didn't know what we didn't know and really did complete supply chain audits on all of our products and had things express shipped to get to the US early. So it was important for us to be ahead of the materials, right? And from a a labor standpoint, again, it was a, a lot of audibles being called on a daily basis by our team. The state of Pennsylvania shut down for 41 days. We had an amazingly huge, the biggest deal we had this entire year was at Penn State, over 800 beds. Shutting so down for 40 days and already a tight schedule. You can imagine it's not ever planned for, there no, there's a room and a budget or a schedule for that. So the team did a great job. That came back, worked with the borough, were able to work double and triple shifts from May through completion and, and came in uh, really on time on that one, which was fantastic compliment to the team and their ability to think outside the box but the the work that was put in this summer across our our deliveries was uh really second to none i don't know another development team student for sure in the country that that had the successes we did this year
1: so everyone keeps using this phrase post-covid which i find funny because we're still in the midst of this global (laughs) we're still experiencing these things so what are you seeing you know beyond the 2020 deliveries what are you seeing now
2: you know, for for the most part for us we're thinking through next gen of design I think that in, in obviously in construction in the field there's two things we're seeing right there's how do people want to function in a post covid environment it's really impacting our design of common areas and many areas uh, how we're looking at student and resi and senior deals from a visitor standpoint from a resident experience standpoint from a private study standpoint and student to a s- similar private work areas and, and resi and and family visitation areas and seniors. So each vertical is handling it a little bit differently, but I would say that uh, the go forward strategy is to rethink the same metrics with respect to square footage on the design from an amenity square foot as a percent of the development are still intact, but how that space is being programmed has been really a challenge and continues to be challenged as we go forward. From a construction standpoint, clearly there's changes in the field. People working in close proximities, once the buildings are enclosed is a challenge. And ultimately we have COVID officers on site. We have extra people wiping down high touch areas. We have separations during break times and, and lunch times. So a lot of things happen in the field. We've learned a lot from some of our subcontractor and can contractor partners. And uh, some do a really fantastic job of implementing some, some COVID precautions, daily temperature checks, and lots of things that come into play. Uh, generally speaking, we, we see in the US, it hasn't impacted production very much. Um, on our operations in Europe, there's been significant productions because of staff reductions on site. They've actually limited the number of people who are allowed to be on site daily, and that has clearly impacted the deliveries and the, and the, and the schedules or programs over in Europe.
0: You know, if we talk a little bit about the cost effects of COVID here um, and looking across everything that you're touching right now, I know it's a little bit different based on what markets that you're looking at, um, you know, but we've heard things from some of our own partners that would became more expensive because lumber mills shut down and they weren't expecting home building to continue and it kind of began to boom. Can you dive into a little bit about, about what we're seeing from a cost standpoint for the materials that we're using?
2: You hit the big one. Wood was the big one this year. So the big change in, was wood. It's, it's up 50 to 100% in some markets and and if you can find it. And so some of the challenges on a, on a 500,000 gross square foot wood frame building, that's a, that's a big number. You're looking at some seven figure numbers at times on uh, an increase. So we're looking at other ways to combat that. Our guys are super creative in their ability to assess jobs and find other areas and ways to be more thoughtful in, in how they spend that money.
1: So one of the other impacts of, of COVID that we've talked a lot about over the past couple of weeks is just delays because of market illiquidity. What impact have delayed closings had on your team?
2: That's a great question. I, it's been tougher for us to continue to hold numbers and, and to continue to keep contractors and folks across the country engaged. I think that something that we were very fortunate to do is that we, we took a roadshow. We took... Uh, four or five key executives. We we toured the country and went and sat in G.C.'s lobbies and sat in their conference rooms and wore masks and told them we're real. This deal is going to happen in the next ninety days, and we need you guys to put this on top of your pile of of deals that may or may happen. This is going to happen. Give us the time and attention that that this needs to get this done. And so, but we did it in person, and and it made a huge difference. We spent a lot of time late spring, early summer on the road, uh, just getting people re-engaged. And our team spent the entire summer on the road really going line by line, trade by trade, uh, making sure that the people that we were hiring are A, solvent, and and don't have any issues with their financials as you go down the subcontract list. And then B, had the the capacity and ability to deliver. So it's been an amazingly complicated summer, but we've got three or four really good starts that have all happened in the last 60 days.
0: And if you're doing, you know, like as you mentioned, 15 to 30 deals at any one time could be at some different level of your pipeline. How are you seeing that actually play through with our actual projects right now? Not so much in terms of costs, but in terms of of efficiency of getting these projects started that we already had in line pre-COVID and getting them going now in the middle of this environment.
2: Yeah, it's like squeezing the balloon, right? I think for a while everything was we were waiting, and so the deals started to pile up, and now we're starting to pull them off one at a time. We we started a, a deal in Reno, Nevada, Eugene, Oregon. We're starting Gainesville, Florida. We're starting Seattle in a few weeks. We've got a, a deal we're starting on the Resi team down in San Diego uh, mid December. So a lot of good things finally happening as we're starting to see equity, and equity has always been there, but now debt get on board. That's been super complicated. Deals that were historically higher leverage single bank or single sponsor deals are now being clubbed out and syndicated, which is adding time and complexity to closings and, and the documentation process. We're seeing our our contracts on the construction side come across our desk five, six times with changes during any one deal because there's so many different people and partners involved in all the deals now as we put them together, and so. Um, just takes time. It always gets done. Just takes time.
0: Well, we actually tried to get Katie Kazaz to come on episode four uh, before you. However, she was too busy with the with capital markets mm-hmm. the team. That um, yeah. certainly what you're just hitting on there, it's a it's a real problem. But luckily, you're seeing what your team is doing, what the rest of the team here at CA is doing, and getting these projects off and running in the middle of this environment. You just it told it him he was a guest. It doesn't surprise <laughs> me. It doesn't surprise me. I'm
2: not surprised at all, matter of fact, Key's a much better guest he didn't than I didn't want
1: you here, but now that you're here,
2: <laughs> we also asked John Dietrich he was too busy, and the Sean the Kaya is not in town. So we asked four or five others. We're glad to have you
1: so let's move on to a different, very interesting topic that I'd love to hear about a couple of years ago. you started catalyst construction group which is a kind of a sister company for ca a strategic partner um, can you describe the relationship and the function and, and why we entered that business
2: yeah it's a great question and Frankly, Catalyst is the most exciting initiative that I'm working on right now. It's been a lot of fun, and it was a natural next step for CA. In our vertically integrated model, it was the one piece we were missing from the true vertical integration, which is to have the ability to construct our buildings ourselves with our own forces and our our own teams. About two and a half years ago, we started our first development on the construction front here in Chicago at 450 Belmont. And really, we did it locally because we wanted to have the ability to touch and, and be there daily to put our systems in place. A construction company is still very risky. There are lots of protocols that have to be thought about as you build the company, from insurances to to just the the team, the structure, the processes, the platforms, the, the software. And so we used uh, the first deal at 450 Belmont to really get that set up, and then moved on to Arlington Downs Racetrack 2 ADR two. Uh, which is a f- uh, suburban Chicago stick frame construction project that we started about a year ago. And again, continue to dive into our processes and protocols and, and really fine-tune some of our practices, which has been a, a ton of fun. And we've, again, early lessons learned have been great. So for us now, we're taking the, the show on the road and starting to go national. We started development in Phoenix, About uh, nine months ago, so we have a brand new tower going up in Phoenix, a full concrete tower. You know, it's interesting as you look at what we're doing across the country, a lot of the markets that we're in, we've been there before. We've been there two, three times. This is our second or third development in those markets. And so we know the key subs. We know the key people. They know us. And I think our reputation is really strong around the country. So the subs respond well to Catalyst. They respond well to CA being the builder. And in markets that we can compete that don't have strong union presences and that, that are more transient in nature, like a Phoenix or a Gainesville, where there's not a, a really a, a network to be part of to succeed, we're finding some great success. So it's been a great start kickoff and, and our team is now 28 people strong and growing to 50 strong by end of this year and should be somewhere in the range of 75 people by mid next year. So a lot of exciting new developments happening on the construction front.
1: So what does that relationship look like? How does CA and their individual vertical students, senior residential work with a catalyst construction group in comparison to a third party general contract? Well, it is a third party general contractor. It
2: is. So you're, you're right. It's a third-party general contractor. So same as you would with any other contractor, you engage them early, they you negotiate general conditions and fees, and then you work with them through pre-construction, which could be anywhere from three months to 12 months, to to team together, to think through design, to think through VE, to get to a, a schedule of values and a GMP that works for both sides, and ultimately uh, to get started and complete the construction. So it's very much arm's length, the same precautions and I'm not sure what the word I'm looking for is. <laughs> cut that part. <laughs> okay,
1: cut. Same, perca- same precautions?
2: <laughs> no, the same precautions and contract terms that you'd have with any third-party contract are in our contracts as well. So we really have a separation of church and state. Our ownership team works on behalf of our ownership and their fiduciary to our partners, and they negotiate with against Catalyst or across the table as they would with any other third-party GC. So Catalyst provides a service. And the, the reason that we think it's so important for us to do is the transparency. You know, a lot of the deals that we're doing now are so complicated and the time and the budgets are are so tight that oftentimes it's important for us to really be in the weeds and solve challenges and problems together. So having a GC partner like Catalyst really on the same side of the table as our ownership, owners rep team solving challenges that they come up. Is super important from a transparency of pricing and timing. You know, we don't deliver deals late. It just doesn't happen. We can't. Student housing deals have to be delivered on time. So most student housing deals have an acceleration cost built into them, and most of them accelerate at some sometime during construction. The transparency here is going to be fantastic, and the idea really is that we're paying the true cost of acceleration, not numbers that we have to weed through that a third party GC pulled together.
0: So Sean, the key success metrics for development is being on time and, and, and on budget. How does
2: Catalyst help you succeed with that? That's a great question. I think the idea really is that we set budgets up front that are attainable, and we set a, a schedule that we believe is real. And we set together collectively milestone dates throughout the schedule. We'll have ten different key dates throughout the schedule that we we have these interim checkpoints to make sure we're hitting those super important to be able to assess honestly and that's where i think the transparency comes there's an honest assessment as to where you are during the process so i think with the third party gc you'll often walk through a site and they'll make you look to the left while the, there's a fire to the right and they keep your head turned the wrong direction and you leave and you don't know really what's happening i think the idea here is that we really have people that all are grabbing an or and rowing the same direction so we really have the transparency uh because we all have the same goal we can't fail together so why that while the why they are separate companies there is certainly a, a synergy of goals and the budgets are set together the schedules are set together and if there's a challenge with either of them through the process they're solved together
1: so catalyst construction group or or any of our development projects that we're working with another gc are there any trends that you're seeing what are that what are the hot topics in the construction world right now
2: yeah there's always New ideas coming out on ways to deliver buildings faster and less expensive, and they're very regional. For example, we are using Prescient, which is a pre engineered light gauge steel company and system that we're using in Gainesville. Uh, we use it previously in Tampa and in Fort Collins, Colorado, but we're dusting off the relationship and, and using them again. You know, sometimes markets and timing dictate what products you can and should use. And we're always open to new ideas. I think I'd prefer to be a first follower than a leader with new technologies. So we are not going to be the guinea pig for someone's new concept for a structure that hasn't been tested. But we certainly like the idea of being the first follower with the scale and scope of work that we do around the country. We're always looking for ways to to save time and money. So our, our teams are always suggesting and putting new ideas on the board and we consider them often.
1: So the concept of being the first follower is kind of the the concept behind CA Innovation Lab, right? It's it's pressure testing different unit types and furniture and things like that to make mistakes in in an isolated warehouse as opposed to in the field.
2: Yeah, that's exactly right. I think the idea of trying to look at new unit types is challenging. You haven't seen them. You don't know what a nail unit looks like. It's a micro unit, a nail unit. These are all super new ideas. And did they feel too small when you're in them or can people actually live in there? We've taken a lot of what we learned from our european teammates and integrated them into some of these new concepts for units which is really to maximize storage maximize living space maximize storage for everything from food to clothing to uh, you know luggage it's, it's amazing how we really try to think through every angle so the innovation labs is a great place that people can have ideas we can go build it in a controlled environment our teams can come through over time, put their input into the space, and we can come up with some really good new products before we try to build it into our buildings. And so that's what we're doing now with with the units, uh, as well as with some of the furniture and, and fixtures.
1: Yeah, let's talk about post-COVID design, because that's a phrase that we see across headlines, articles, everywhere these days. Uh, trend or fad, is it is it a real thing? How is CA approaching that?
2: It's a real thing. I think we're taking it very seriously. We are committed as a, a organization to wellness of our, our residents and our buildings. And so you see things like touchless elevator technology take on a whole new level. I think it's part of our standards back now It's to have an upgrade. It's, there's things that are used to be a an upgrade that are now standardized. You see things like antimicrobial surfaces. You see upgraded mechanical systems that use UV lights. Some of these systems have been around for a long time, but we haven't often use them in our buildings because they weren't, A, required by code, or B, really something that we thought was necessary. And I think a lot of those have been rethought, and we've really changed our standard to have a much higher acuity and vision towards wellness of our residents and our, and, and our staff.
0: Well, Sean, kudos to you and your team for everything you guys have accomplished this year. I know there's a, a level of gratitude that probably goes unrecognized across the entire organization to you and your team. Um, if we think, though, and this is probably the toughest question we ask on every single episode, even though it's slightly changed because I maybe missed <laughs> the first episode,
1: <laughs> we yeah. undershot it a little bit.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, what, about 47 months. Um, if you think about Catalyst and Blue and Orange and, and really your role as Chief Development Officer, where do you see everything going in the next five years?
2: That's a great question because I, I think that we are trying to be ahead of the curve. And I think that you'll see a continued integration of technology into our teams and our deliveries. I think you'll see a continued focus on design and efficiency in our designs, our units, and uh, our systems. And to Megan's earlier question, I think you'll see a continued focus on wellness and sustainability. I think that uh, generally speaking, in most markets in the U.S., we respond to code and code requirements, and we do things that are typically code minimum, because that's what the competitors do. I think we're starting to go a little bit color outside those lines and take a more proactive approach to design and implementation. And I think we'll continue to push the envelope on next level living and next level experiences for our residences.
0: You've been a fantastic guest. I thank you for your time.
2: Thank you. Thanks for having me.